Welcome to Daily Grace. We believe that the Bible is true, trustworthy, and timeless. And we want to help women like you know and love God's Word. The Bible shows us who God is, and who He is changes everything. My name is Joanna. And I'm Stephanie. Come join us as we chat about the truth of God's Word in our everyday lives. Have you ever felt like Christianity has too many rules to follow? I mean, what's with all the commands about what to do and what not to do? Isn't the gospel about grace? We've had these questions too, but the truth is God's holy law is a gracious and beautiful gift. We hope that this conversation will help clear up some of the confusion, help you see the freedom that Christ offers from guilt and shame, and have a vision for how we relate to God's commands for us as God's people. Spoiler alert here, they are all for our good and for our joy. So get excited for a fresh perspective on these super important questions and come on and join us. Well, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Daily Grace. This is Stephanie, and I am here, as always, with Joanna. Hello. Hey, so today we are going to be talking about rules. Um, Have you ever heard someone say, you know, the Bible is just a book full of rules? Um, (laughs) I know that's a question I've heard. Actually, I know that's something that I've personally felt and thought myself in the past. And it's just this belief that Christianity is just all about these commands to follow. And it's just moralism. And so we are Mm. going to talk about that today. And I think it's going to be a helpful and really relevant topic to discuss. But before we do, Joanna, what is your favorite thing from this week? Okay, so this past week, super fun, Stephanie, you and I got to meet our boss for the first time. Boss <laughs> lady. So, so weird to say, but um, yeah, so Kristen Schmucker and her husband, Jeremy, were passing through our neck of the woods, and so we got to have dinner with them, um, and I had so much fun. <laughs> I don't know about Me you, too. Stephanie. Oh, yeah. But I did not realize how hilarious Jeremy is. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is awesome. It was like a, almost like a comedy show. <laughs> no, but it was just so fun and just so cool to meet in person. And I personally felt like we weren't meeting for the first time. We talk on Voxer like every single day. But right. it felt like we were just long time friends just grabbing dinner together. So that was just really sweet to have that time. Yeah, it was definitely one of those nights where like four hours of conversation go by. And yeah. you're like, wow, <laughs> what it's <happened>? late. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's definitely my favorite thing too. It was our first time meeting. I mean, Joanna and I have met up before. Oh, yeah. But having Kristen and Jeremy there was just really fun to just seeing each other face to face. So, yeah. Definitely a highlight of my week. Yeah. One of these days, we'll get the whole team together, hopefully. (laughs) Oh, yeah, for sure. Maybe next year. Yeah. So, yeah, rules. That sounds fun, right? (laughs) (laughs) No, but, you know, it's so interesting because 
I feel like one of the biggest complaints that I hear about Christianity is that there are too many rules. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I hear all kinds of objections like Christianity is just too restrictive. I can't have any fun. <laughs> you know, I was talking to someone close to me and they were saying, you know, I think Jesus is great. I think he had some really good teachings. He seemed like a really nice guy, but I just can't handle all the rules of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Give me Jesus, yeah. but take the rules away. Um, and, you know, other objections that I hear are like, hey, what I'm doing isn't hurting anybody. So what's the big deal? Like if as long as I just don't do anything that's going to be harmful to anyone else, then I should be fine. Um, Or the objection like, these rules are outdated. It's 2019. Get with it. Let's move (laughs) past like the archaic rules. Um, And then I also just hear the objection like, hey, there are too many rules to follow and it's impossible for me to keep them all. Mm -hmm. I can't measure up. And so why is it even worth trying? Yeah, for sure. I mean... I know I have felt a lot of those things during my middle and high school years. I remember just feeling like there was this greater emphasis on like how I appeared um, than like the condition of my heart. So how mm. I dressed, um, how I spoke and, you know, just all the external things. And, you yeah. know, the Bible was definitely like this handbook full of rules that I needed to follow back then. And let me tell you, I think that's unhelpful and destructive in general because that encourages you to approach the Bible um, just with this focus on self. Um, But it was really enslaving for me because I was a huge rule follower and people pleaser. Mm -hmm. So I totally bought into this. The Bible is full of rules and we have to try to meet all of them Mm -hmm. or else. And I wrestled with it for years because, you know, like you said, no one can ever measure up perfectly. And I knew I wasn't measuring up, even though I was trying really, really hard. Um, But here's the thing. I didn't see anyone else measuring up either. (laughs) And, you know, I think that's when I think people tend to criticize Christians for being hypocrites. Yeah. And. You know, again, I had that opinion myself, so I'm not pointing any fingers here. Um, So all of that to say, I think this is going to be a really relevant topic. Yeah, it's really important for us to know, okay, well, what do we do with all these rules, Mm -hmm. right? Because we have to acknowledge the fact that there are a lot of things that we might call rules in the Bible, right? Lots of things that we're commanded to do, right? whole books, of the Old Testament are dedicated to laws given by God. And so clearly we need to figure out what's going on here because we don't want to be in this place where we're just thinking, oh, I hear the word rules or law and I just Mm want to groan and talk about something else. Clearly it's in there for a reason, but I think that there is a way that we can approach this that is going to offer hope and joy Mm -hmm. in place of disgust or just repulsion even. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I do think this is a question our culture is asking. So, you know, I think we should be equipped to answer it. But even for our own selves, we should have a good grasp on Mm -hmm. how to approach um, these commands that we see in the Bible. And so, yes, if you open your Bible, you know, up to Exodus or Leviticus, you are going to see that there are laws there for Mm -hmm. God's people. And, you know, even if you move to the New Testament, 
you'll see that it doesn't necessarily just go away. Right. Um, yeah. I think of Sermon on the Mount. You know, Jesus gave a deeper interpretation of those Old Testament laws. So, you know, you shall not commit adultery actually was don't even look at another person with lustful intent. Mm -hmm. So saying the Bible is a book full of rules is, in my opinion, you know, an understandable surface level judgment, because Mm -hmm. again, if you open the Bible, you will see these commands there. But here's the thing. I think it'll only remain a surface level judgment until you and I understand the God who gives those laws. Right. Um, we can't understand the point of all of those rules until we understand the giver of those mm. laws and rules. Because here's the thing, all of the laws and commands and prohibitions and everything that we see in scripture is actually a reflection of God's character, his holy mm. character. And so the moral laws in the Old Testament show us who God is, what he is like, and what he values. So as these laws reveal who he is, it helps us understand his nature and his standard of holiness. So it helps us know him and and that changes everything, right? Because that's grace then. Yeah, I think that when we look at the law, the rules given in Mm -hmm. scripture as revealing who God is, that completely changes our perspective on it. Oh, yeah. Because... You know, God is the fullness of holiness and beauty and Mm. glory, and he is everything that is good and is lovely and is honorable and Mm -hmm. all of these things that we desire. And so when we realize that God shows us who he is in the law, man, that changes the way that we approach it. That leaves room for us to delight in it because in it, we get to know God. Um, And, you know, the law not only shows us what God's holiness is, what his character is, but it shows us how we are called to reflect his holiness. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I've been reading a lot in the Old Testament recently And, you know, there's this promise that God makes to Abraham in Genesis 12. And he promises him that through his offspring, all the nations of the world would be blessed, that Abraham's offspring would be a blessing to the world. And then in Exodus 19, we see God carrying on that promise and showing us one of the ways that that begins to happen. So in Exodus 19, we see God giving the law to Moses. And before he gives him the law, here's what he says. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Okay, so in order to understand what's going on here, we have to know what a priest is, right? Because he says, okay, you're going to be a kingdom of priests. And a priest is someone who is an intermediary between God and man. Mm -hmm. And so as a kingdom of priests, the Israelites and Moses were called to go between God and the rest of the world by showing them what God was like, Mm -hmm. by showing them his character, his holiness, his goodness, and drawing them to God. And the way that they did that was by following the law because the law reflects his holiness. So if Mm -hmm. you follow the law, it is going to be this big banner Mm -hmm. 
that shows what God is like, that shows who he is Mm -hmm. and will draw people to him as they see his holiness displayed in us. And so the law isn't just meant to say, do this, you have to do this or or else, like you said, Mm -hmm. Stephanie, but the law is meant to be a reflection of God's goodness and holiness to the world around us so that people might be drawn to God and be Mm -hmm. blessed. Yeah, man. You know, what a beautiful invitation it is, right? To join God in his mission in this way to reflect him by, like you Mm -hmm. said, um, obeying the laws. That's a way to reflect who God is to this world and to draw people to him. And and that's just so beautiful. And this whole priesthood thing has totally enriched my understanding of 1 Peter 2, 9, Mm -hmm. um, where it calls us a royal priesthood. And, you know, I know that I've overlooked the truth of kind of being a royal priesthood because I tend to just think of Jesus as our high priest and how he, you know, removed the need for any earthly priest as a mediator. And so, you know, just to remember that he has called us collectively as the body of Christ, a royal priesthood Mm -hmm. is really profound and totally changes how I read first Peter now. Yeah. Um, But, of course, we fall short of that calling all the time. You know, (laughs) unlike Jesus, we are not holy and righteous by our own right. And, you know, the law clearly shows us that. The law actually reveals our sin. Um, Romans 7, 7 says, What then shall we say, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. And so I see this as God's grace, you know. It's not that the law is evil in and of itself, but, you know, that the law reveals God's character and standard. And in turn, the law clearly shows us how we fall short of that divine standard. And and that's grace to me because it reveals our need for a Savior, right? Mm-hmm. It helps yeah. us identify sin in our lives and helps us see our desperate need for a redeemer. And I really truly see that awareness as God's grace towards us because, man, it's a life and death issue here, right? Mm -hmm. And I really do think this is why we can't leave the law out of evangelism. I know in our culture, we tend to want to shy away from like any sort of absolutes so we can be tempted to downplay this truth, right? That there is this absolute standard that we desperately fall short of, but you know, we really can't and we really shouldn't. Yeah, that's so true because, you know, we're not doing ourselves or anybody else any favors by softening the requirements that God Mm -hmm. has for us. It's true. Um, And, you know, I think that when we do that, we miss the severity of our need yeah. And in turn, we miss the abundance of God's grace. Yeah, exactly. Because, yeah, when we downplay the law, we're really inadvertently telling people they don't really need the gospel. Exactly, yeah. It's not that big of a deal. It's not that urgent. Um, but the good news of the gospel is that we broke the law. We break it every single day. And we earned the punishment for breaking the law, which is death. But... This is where the good news comes in. Mm -hmm. (laughs) By faith in Christ, we can be declared righteous. And the truth is that we could never fulfill the law on our own, right? We can never 
live up to all of the rules and requirements and commands, Mm -hmm. but Christ did. And when we place our faith in him, his righteousness is credited to us. That's called our justification, right? That we're declared righteous because of what Christ did. But it doesn't stop there because God's salvation isn't so weak (laughs) to just leave us in our sin. Right, It's not so weak to leave us unchanged, but God's salvation actually cleanses us, it purifies us, it makes us holy, and that's our sanctification. You know, um, there's this verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 where Paul is talking about the gospel, what the gospel is, and he talks about how opposed to God he was how he was sinning in so many ways. And he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. And so y'all know I love my ESV translation, but (laughs) there are some other translations that I actually really, really like the way that it's phrased. It says, God's grace toward me was not without effect. Mm. Um, And I love that because what we see is that the grace of God, like I said, isn't so weak just to say, here's your get out of hell free card and move along and leave us unchanged. But it has an effect in our lives. It actually Mm. changes things. It actually changes our hearts, changes the way that we live. And because of that, we can have these good works, right? We can follow the law and walk in obedience because we're changed. And it's God that empowers us to do that. God empowers us to follow his commands. And I just think that we have to realize that God paid the ultimate price for Mm -hmm. our salvation, the most precious blood of Jesus Christ. And he didn't pay that price so that we could just go unchanged. Right. And so we have to realize justification always leads to sanctification. Genuine faith always produces good works. The result is always going to be that we're going to be changed. And, you know, that's why James can say in James 2.26 that faith without works is dead because true faith will produce obedience. It will produce following the law. And that law is lovely and it is good and it is holy as we've already seen. Yeah, you're so right. And, you know, I hear more and more people have this phrase like the gospel changes everything. And it's so true. Like the Mm -hmm. gospel truly does change everything. Um, It really does have implications for our everyday lives. And so I love also what you said about how his grace leads to and empowers our obedience, because I think it can seem kind of all like fire and brimstone talking about the law and how we fall Mm. short. But like you said, God doesn't leave us in our sin, right? He transforms us. He grows us in godliness. He sanctifies us. And, you know, I think another helpful thing to remember is um, looking back in the Old Testament. We have to remember that God rescued the Israelites from slavery before giving the law. And so Exodus 14 is a beautiful display of grace because Mm. um, just for context here, right before splitting the Red Sea, Moses said this to the Israelites. He said, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. 
For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. And then they walked on dry land across the Red Sea, and it was as if their bondage was broken, right? And Mm. it's just this beautiful display of grace and redemption. And then the law comes later, right, in Exodus 20. And so this is just really helpful to remember because it's grace and then obedience. Mm -hmm. Um, Really, Tim Keller has this beautiful sermon on this. I'll link it in our show notes. But one quote from there, he said, The more you meditate on what Jesus has done, the more you see the floodwaters go over his head in your hearts and minds, the more holy you will be. Nobody who understands the grace of God would ever take sin lightly. The more you deal with the free grace of God, the more you work it into your heart. The more you understand this, the more you understand that your salvation has nothing to do with your behavior. And Mm -hmm. so what we're saying here is grace and redemption leads to obedience. So when the gospel, you know, takes a hold of us and we see the totality and beauty of the gospel, our response is obedience, right? It's a mark Mm -hmm. of um, our salvation, It's like good works being like a byproduct of our faith, Um, not a means to our salvation, but a result of our salvation, an expression Mm. of our salvation. And so, yeah, because of grace, obedience isn't this dreadful duty, but it's actually a delight and an expression Mm -hmm. of love and devotion. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it really is such amazing grace that God would take us sinners that we are and not only say, I'm going to take away your penalty, but actually pull us out of the pit and Mm. wash us clean and make us pure and holy and clothe us in righteousness. That is grace. You know, as people who have been given such amazing grace, we are called to give it to others. In Matthew 10, 8, Jesus says, you received without paying, give without pay. You may have heard it, freely you have received, so freely give. Mm-hmm. And he's actually talking about this in the context of evangelism, right? So he's not talking about like being generous with your money or something, yeah. although that is a good application as well. But he's talking about sharing God's grace with, with other people. And so, you know, like we mentioned earlier, one way that we do that is by displaying the glory and the holiness of God by following his commands. This is what God called Moses and the Israelites to do, and it's what he calls us to do now. Mm-hmm. And Stephanie, you mentioned 1 Peter 2, 9, where it says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so we are that kingdom of priests, that royal priesthood, showing the world God's goodness through obedience to his commands. And we obey the law then to display the glory of God. And like this verse says, to proclaim his excellencies to a world in need of his grace, just like we are in need of his grace. Mm -hmm. And so we invite people in our obedience to experience the greatest gift, and that's the gift of God himself. Mm, And we invite them to do that as we follow his law. And, you know, in Matthew 5, this is 
part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us to do the exact same thing. So you've probably heard that like light of the world passage, right? Um, It says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. Mm -hmm. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. And this passage, the very next thing that Jesus says after this is, hey, I'm not getting rid of the law. I have not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. And so he's telling us, let your light shine to the world so that they can give glory to your father by following the commands that God has given you, his holy and righteous commands. You're so right. And I think of how, you know, Jesus calls us to abide and how abiding is obeying his commands. And Mm -hmm. I really love the light metaphor because, you know, we can run on and on with this, but like he is the source of the light and we are to reflect him. And Mm -hmm. in doing so, we really shine. And that's how God's glory works too, right? His glory is intrinsic and we ascribe glory to him. We put his glory on display Mm -hmm. um, for the world to see. And, Really, I ran with this, like it just on and on, even about love, like first John four nineteen, we love because he first loved us. Yeah. And so it starts with him. And, you know, speaking of love, we really can't talk about the law or about rules without talking about love. Um, because Matthew twenty two, thirty seven through forty, Jesus says, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And mm. Paul says this again, Romans thirteen ten. love is the fulfilling of the law. And mm. so we are clearly taught that the law is fulfilled in loving God and loving neighbor. I was thinking about this, and it makes total sense, right? If you look at the Ten Commandments, You know, Mm -hmm. the first four commandments are kind of in regard to our vertical relationship with God. And then the following six are in regards to like our horizontal or interpersonal relationships with people. So, yeah, love God and love neighbors. And first John 4, 8, God is love. And so the law is a reflection of love and Mm -hmm. love circles around in that. Love is what fulfills the law, right? Yeah, this is so important. And this is why the objection that I mentioned earlier, the one that says, hey, just do everything in love. Like, don't worry about the rules as long as you just love each other. Don't hurt each other. The rest doesn't Mm -hmm. matter. Mm -hmm. That objection doesn't stand when we're looking at the law of God because these laws were given to us so that we can love. Right. This shows us what it means to love. And so, you know, it makes total sense. Do not murder. Right. It's because in refraining from not only actually killing someone, but that hatred that we have towards people, right? Like Jesus says that hating someone is the same as murder, mm-hmm. right? This is how we love each other. We love each other by not stealing from one another. We love each other by not committing adultery, right? These are ways that we actually express God's love. And so to say like, hey, as long as you're living in love, then the rest doesn't matter. The law shows us 
what it means to love. Mm -hmm. And if we are breaking the law, we are breaking the command to love. We might think that we are not hurting someone, but there really is no victimless crime when it comes to our sin. Mm. We are sinning against others, but ultimately we are sinning against the holiness of God. Yeah. We are sinning against his character. We are reflecting to the world an image that is broken, a marred image of God when we are not walking in his commandments. And so if you want to do everything in love, the answer is to follow the commands of God. Yeah. And you know, while we're here, let's talk about some of those other objections that I brought up earlier. Because mm-hmm. um, another one of those objectives said like, hey, the law is too restrictive. It's no fun. <laughs> I, You just want to take away all my joy. You don't want to let me do anything <laughs> fun. Have you heard this before? Like, oh, so many rules. Christians don't want you to have any fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. Honestly, my freshman year in college is like a result of this kind of thinking. <laughs> mm. I feel like we got some stuff to dig into there, Stephanie. <laughs> <laughs> it's not pretty. <laughs> Maybe we'll get to that another day. <laughs> yeah, but it's definitely a common thought. Like, I just want to have fun. Like, I just want to enjoy myself. And all these laws are just going to make my life boring. Yeah. But I think that what we have to realize is that God's laws are for our good and they are for our joy. Yeah. I love in Deuteronomy chapter 10 when God is giving the Israelites the law again because <laughs> it was broken the first time, literally physically broken the tablets of stone. <laughs> he says, now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord. And here's the kicker, which I am commanding you today for your good. The laws of God are given to us for our good. They're not meant to keep us from fun. They're not supposed to keep us from good things. They're actually meant to result in good things, Mm -hmm. right? Psalm 84, 11 says, for the Lord God is a sun and shield The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. God does not withhold anything good from us. Anything that would result in our true and lasting joy, God gives to us. And all these other things that we seek after to try to find joy, to try to find satisfaction, they are not going to satisfy They might give us temporary pleasure that's going to fade away, but what they are going to leave is pain and heartbreak Mm -hmm. and death and shame. But what will ultimately satisfy is God alone and all of his ways are good. And you know, I, I admit that I don't always view the law this way as this beautiful, wonderful thing that's going to bring me fullness of joy, Mm -hmm. but Um, You know, we talk a lot about meditating on scripture, right? And I just think that an awesome passage to meditate on, maybe work on memorizing this passage if this is an area that you struggle in or just because, because it's a beautiful passage, is Psalm 19. And this is verses 7 through 11. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. 
The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Mm. And I read that and I just think, God, show me, show me the goodness of your law. You know, I think of that verse um, that says, open my eyes that I may see wondrous things out of your law. And, you know, if we ask God to do that, he will be faithful to do it. Um, And it's true that if we're looking for true joy, if we're looking for true satisfaction, there's nothing sweeter than the law of the Lord because the law of the Lord shows us his holiness and allows us by the grace of God to be participants in his holiness. Yeah. Psalm 19 is one of my favorites. Hmm. And I feel like it pretty much summed up what we've been trying to say. <laughs> mm, yeah. Uh, Maybe we should have just read that and shut off the episode, right? <laughs> see you next Tuesday. <laughs> but, you know, I can see some people objecting to this by saying that the Bible is outdated. And so the rules or commands in the Bible are outdated and should be treated as a historical document. So just read it, study it even, but there are no implications for our lives today. And I mean, this entire conversation may raise questions in people's minds about a lot of the laws in the Old Testament and whether we have to follow them in this day and age. And so I'm thinking of laws like animal sacrifices or the command not to eat pork So I think this is a good time to save this. We have to understand that many of these laws existed before Christ's coming and actually pointed forward to him. So throughout the Old Testament, the underlying message is he is coming. He is coming. And that's Jesus, right? And so even here, we see that many of these laws pointed to Christ as the one who could purify us. And, you know, there are a lot of laws about temple worship how to sacrifice animals to cover the people's sins, about things that made someone clean versus unclean. But here's the thing. Christ fulfilled all of that. He is the perfect sacrifice that covers our sins once and for all. So all of the animal sacrifices in the Old Testament pointed to his perfect sacrifice. And because Jesus came and fulfilled that requirement, we don't need to sacrifice animals anymore. He makes us clean by his blood. So we don't need rituals to make us ceremonially clean. You know, Christ fulfilled the whole law on our behalf. And while we don't need to observe these laws that I just mentioned, Jesus's fulfillment of the law actually empowers us now to do what is holy. So things like living out of love instead of hate, having integrity instead of stealing, and so on and so forth. And so those laws that show us what it means to be holy as God is holy still stand today, not as a way for us to earn our salvation, but as an expression or an overflow of the salvation that we have. And so we hope that is helpful. The Bible is absolutely not outdated. It is living and active and our God has not changed. He is eternal and unchanging. So in our world where we may constantly experience changing trends and what people believe is right and wrong may change from this generation to that generation. 
what is actually right and wrong are the same through the ages because they're a reflection of God's character and his character never changes. So we should be encouraged to pursue holiness. He has made a way for us to be positionally holy and through the study of his word and by the power of the spirit, we can be transformed and be made holy. Yeah, and you know, another objection that I mentioned earlier is that people might say the rules are just too demanding and too discouraging and I can never measure up. And you know, we talked a lot about this on episode 35 when you don't measure up. But what we need to understand is that God's holy standard is the highest standard that there is. And the truth is, we are all born in sin and we are all imperfect and none of us can measure up. It's absolutely true. We can get stuck there though and respond to that fact that we aren't good enough, that we can't measure up in one of several ways. Maybe we despair and we go into like a state of self-loathing because we hate ourselves for not being good enough. Right? Or mm-hmm. maybe instead we are just always trying to earn our way, right? Kind of like that, like I can do it, legalistic kind of approach that can either lead to shame or excessive mm-hmm. pride, right? Of thinking that we can earn our salvation. Or maybe we just throw in the towel and say, it's too hard. I'm not going to do any of it, right? Why would I even try if I've already failed? And the truth is like we can't we can't stop there. We can't stop at that point of saying I don't measure up. We see the truth that we don't measure up, but we don't stay in our despair. We have mm-hmm. to look to Christ. We have to look to the gospel. And the gospel tells us that we can't measure up, but Christ measures up for us. Mm-hmm. Right? He fulfilled every requirement, every holy standard, and not only that, but he also paid our debt. He took our punishment in our place. So that if we put our faith in him, his righteousness is credited to us. Mm -hmm. It's given to us. And because we have Christ's righteousness, we do measure up. But it's because of Christ in us. Yeah. Right? It's not us. It's Christ in us. And what he does is he transforms us and he empowers us to actually change from that place of his righteousness then we are actually transformed into that image. We are enabled to begin to slowly, degree by degree, bit by bit, walk into what he has declared to be true of us. Right. Um, and so we can't get stuck there of saying, I don't measure up, and so it's hopeless. Right. That is amazing grace, and it's a grace that continues, um, mm-hmm. you know, grace upon grace that we rely on every day. Um, and yeah, Jesus calls us who are heavy laden with our spiritual poverty, right? And he invites mm-hmm. us to find rest in him. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. So for all my fellow rule followers or any go-getters out there, um, you know, let us not respond to our spiritual poverty by trying to follow all the rules and trying to fulfill the law. Um, Because when we strive to keep the law as a way to gain acceptance by God, um, we're falling into legalism and just 
to keep it short, you and I will just never be able to be justified by the works of the law. Um, Mm. And Romans 3.20 says, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So if we look to the good news of Jesus and law-abiding to receive salvation, like we are distorting the gospel. So we're saying, okay, if we are relying on Jesus for our salvation and then, you know, trying to fulfill these laws just in case, um, that's Mm. a distorted gospel. And I've been studying the book of Galatians and Paul says clearly, if anyone adds anything else to the gospel, which is justification by grace through faith in Christ alone, if you add anything to that, then it's a false gospel. And so we just have to be careful because we can add any number of things to the gospel as a way to gain assurance of our salvation. And for many of us, it is still the law that trips us up. Um, We rely on striving. You know, we feel like we have to do more for God, not necessarily out of reverence and awe, but you know, out of this misplaced fear or out of duty. And when we do that, we're actually missing the beauty of the gospel completely. So, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And so we definitely want to understand the the purpose and the place of the law. It's not in order to save us, but the law shows us our sin. It shows us our need for God And it shows us his character and what it means to walk in holiness and to walk in his ways. Um, But I think that even if we recognize that that's true, we are confronted with the fact that sometimes we just don't understand why the rules have to be the way that they are, Mm -hmm. right? We might see a command of scripture and say, well, I don't like that. I don't understand why it has to be that way. Man, it could be commands about any number of things. It could be commands about sexual purity, for example, I think is a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, in, and that plays out in a variety of different ways. And so what do we do when we see these laws and we're like, I just don't know why this is such a big deal. Mm-hmm. I don't know why this is something that God would prohibit or that God would command. And I think in these moments, we have to humbly recognize the truth that God is perfect in love and perfect in wisdom and perfect in holiness, and we are not. Um, You know, I love Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, which I have to beat into my own head and heart and remind myself of when I'm trying to figure it all out on my own. (laughs) It says, this is God speaking. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so what we have to realize is that we might not understand why God commands what he does, but we don't always have to. He is the one who knows. And there is a point where we just have to submit to his lordship, even when we don't understand why. Another passage that I love is Romans 11. Um, The last few verses say, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable 
his ways. And you know, I really pretty frequently have to personally repent of saying, I know better than God, of thinking that I can kind of tell him how to fix things or tell him like what he needs to change in order to really make wise commands or really be loving or really be holy or really be good. And the truth is he is infinitely holy, infinitely good, infinitely wise, sovereign, loving, and I quite frankly am not. (laughs) And, you know, I think about parenting with this example. Uh, You know, when you have, let's say, a two, like me, two or three-year-old who just wants to eat like all the candy, all of it, (laughs) and they can't grasp in their little brains why there would be a rule that there's a limit, right? Why mom would say no, no more. Because in their minds, what is this going to hurt? This is something that makes me happy. This is something that is going to make me feel good. It's going to make me feel fulfilled. It's going to put a smile on my face. This is a good thing. Why is mom saying no? But those kids have to submit to their parents' authority even when they don't get it. Because we know as moms that these rules are for their good. Yeah. And we are actually trying to save them from cavities and stomach aches and feeling sick. And we are trying to help them to be nourished and to have growth and to to become um, healthy and mature. And this is the same with the law of God. Our minds are limited. We don't have the full picture. And so there comes a point when we might look at God's rules and say, I don't get it. I don't like it. I wish it was different. But I submit to your lordship, God, because I believe that you know what is best and that you withhold no good thing from me. Yeah. Thinking of parenting, I think of like when my kids want a snack before dinner. And you know, Mm -hmm. you say no because you know that that's not going to satisfy them as much as the dinner will. Mm -hmm. And when it comes down to it, right, it's about trust. Like, do we trust God? Because we're not going to submit to someone that we don't trust. Yeah. And so even with my kids, when they doubt me or they question why I'm um, saying something, I actually do ask them. I say, hey, do you trust me? Do you believe that I love you and that I'm after your good and I'm after what's best for you? And, you know, once they realize that, yes, I am trustworthy and for them, they're able to submit to my authority, right, Mm. as their mom. And you're right. This is like so applicable here because we aren't going to submit ourselves under the lordship of Christ if we don't trust him. You know, Mm, we're definitely not going to obey any commands in scripture if we don't trust in the giver of those commands. Mm. Um, I was thinking about all the saints in the Old Testament, right? Think of Noah. He was told to build a boat in a desert. (laughs) He obeyed God. (laughs) Where it had never, ever rained. Right. (laughs) He obeyed God even when it didn't make any sense Mm -hmm. because he trusted God and Abraham, Moses, Joshua, goodness, Hmm. Jericho. I mean, that battle plan. (laughs) There's just this pattern of trusting and obeying Hmm. all throughout scripture. And and that's the same for us, right? We need to trust Mm -hmm. and obey. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I think the question then is, what do we do with all of this stuff? Um, (laughs) How do we practically cultivate a pattern of obedience in our lives? And, you know, I think it's going to start with delighting in who God is first and foremost, so that like you said, Stephanie, we can trust him and also delighting in his laws. And this happens by, you might be surprised to hear us say this, reading the Bible. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Not just reading the Bible, um, studying the Bible, meditating on God's word, delighting in it, spending time to look for God's character in it. And you know, a good practice might be when you see a command of scripture or a prohibition in scripture, to ask yourself, what does this reveal about God's character? Mm-hmm. What does this tell me about who God is? Right. And how is God calling me to reflect his holiness here? And you know, I think that one thing that I am going to do that I just decided as I was reading Psalm 19 aloud is I think that I'm going to personally memorize those verses yeah. um, and commit those to memory here not only my next passage that I memorize, and I would love to challenge you to do the same, Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11. And, you know, if you post about it on Instagram, tag the Daily Grace Co., because we would love to see that you are doing that as well. You are also welcome to tag me in my personal Instagram, because I would love to see that you are doing it as well. (laughs) Yeah, I definitely feel like that's the best thing you can do if you want to you know, cultivate this pattern of obedience in your life because you're more likely to obey God if you know him and you get to know him by studying his word. And Mm -hmm. really the most compelling motivator to obey is love. So as you study his word and get to know him, your love for him will grow and you'll be compelled to obey him because obedience is an expression of our affection. So as your affection grows, you know, you're going to have this greater tendency to obey. Um, Not that you'll do it perfectly, but you're on that trajectory, right? Mm -hmm. And so what else can we do to be people of obedience? And, you know, I would just suggest that we also strive to be people of confession and repentance. You know, Mm -hmm. we should have rhythms of confession to God and to others, right? To people in our local church, fellow believers. Yeah. And this really puts us in the proper posture to love God and to love others and and even more to grow in godliness and to obey the Lord and all of these things, right? Yeah. And I think that that's so important, that idea of confession, because it's so easy to kind of get to a place where we ignore sin patterns in our lives, where maybe we actually become unaware of them, um, that we don't even see them anymore. And as we practice confession um, centered around God's word, we realize the areas that we fall short. And again, that's a grace because it's then that, that we see our need and God empowers us through Christ to walk in obedience. And so we can increasingly walk in obedience in those places as we cultivate this regular pattern of confession that leads to that growth. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's also why it's really important to have community. 
And I think that's another way that we can practice obedience is through the help of community. You know, we need people to encourage us. Um, We need people to push us. We need people to help us see the sin patterns in our lives that maybe we have overlooked or become desensitized to. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, the body of Christ, that's one of the big things that God intends for the body of Christ is for us to grow up together, for us to help each other to mature and grow in godliness. And so we really need each other, even when it's uncomfortable. It's ultimately for our good um, as we glorify God and grow up into him. Yeah, for sure. Just like we talked about in a previous episode, like we want to be after each other's sanctification, right? Encouraging mm-hmm. each other on this trajectory. And so we want, you know, our fellow believers to also be people of obedience, right? Mm-hmm. And I know for me, this is true that seeing other people obey God encourages me to obey God. Um, it's that healthy form of comparison. Like when mm-hmm. Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And so yeah. definitely there is that mutual edification there. And, you know, as we close out, I've been trying to think of other practical ways to encourage obedience. But really, all I had was just this earnest plea for all of us to be men and women of immediate obedience. You know, we don't want to grieve the spirit and miss out on the fullness of the sweet fellowship that the Lord offers to us when we trust and obey his word. And so as our affections are stirred for him, may we lead lives of obedience as an expression of our love for him and as an act of worship. So that's all I have. Mm, That's great. Yeah. And we hope that you have been able to maybe have your perspective shifted a little bit on all the so-called rules of the Bible um, and that you will be able to delight in the law of God and delight in his precepts and his commands um, as you see him there and walk in holiness by his grace. So we are so grateful for all of you and we look forward to talking with you again next Tuesday. 